Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Jesse Nolan. I'm your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. My guest this week is Scott Lawson, a previous speaker at our Tab Geeks conference. He is the director of IT architecture at QAD Inc. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jesse. Now, our topic for this week is IT architecture, which fits well with your title. But before we get into that, let's do my favorite segment, which is how did you get into tech? Everybody has a different story. It's always fascinating finding out all of the different ways that you can get into tech. So what's yours? All right. Well, I guess I'll have to say it's inherited from my father. My father was uh, into tech when he was uh, when I was a little boy. And in fact, in the basement, when I was in third grade, we had a uh, teletype machine that was connected to the mainframe at his private school and colleges he was teaching at. And I used to play uh, chess, print out pictures of Snoopy and uh, other uh, very low tech games on, on that uh, and write a few basic programs. But I didn't really get super into it, uh, being more of a book reading, literature loving music kind of guy. And um, so left that by the wayside, did take some Fortran in high school and uh, write a few programs here and there. But when I went to college, I went to college for an English degree. So I was getting my master's degree at uh, Cal State Fullerton in poetry composition of all things, which is very close to computers, and uh, decided to start to write a poetry journal and publish a poetry journal. Those were the days of very, very early desktop publishing. And that drove me to learn about the Macintosh and uh, <laughs> start to publish our poetry journal um, on the Macintosh and do paste up and all that kind of stuff, which then uh, just led me further and further into tech and, uh, you know, started helping people out. I always had an aptitude, I think, for it but uh, was never really passionate about it. But I, I think that once the internet came into play, and I'm not talking about the World Wide Web, but uh, things like bulletin boards and so forth, I found that you could really communicate with the entire globe. You could find out information so quickly and so easily, and you could make connections all over the world. And as a person interested in poetry and literature, that's what really turned me on. And so then I think I was off to the races of finding out how can I understand this internet thing? How can I understand how to get information out worldwide and intake information worldwide? Obviously, you're onto something given that you were apparently one of the first bloggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. In fact, uh, what really got me into it is on my Mac SE30, I uh, learned how to connect it to the internet and I searched bulletin board systems for poets with the last name of Lawson, because, you know, I'm egotistical. <laughs> and I found uh, a cowboy poet in Australia that I never would have found in my library, who was uh, quite popular over there. And that really uh, uh, piqued my interest. And of course, the Macintosh is a great system for people to start on uh, who don't really care about the bits and the bytes and the, the hard drives and all that in order to get drawn into it. Oh, absolutely. That's really cool being able to sort of have access to the world in the palm of your hand or, well, on a very large desktop at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then from there, I got a job writing uh, computer manuals, really courseware manuals. And uh, one of my jobs was to write a book. I wrote some Excel and some Word kind of MS Office stuff early, early on, kind of a precursor to the 
um, dummies kind of style writing where they wanted creative writers to make computers interesting. But one of the first assignments that I got after the simple ones were to learn Quark Express, which was a desktop publishing system at the time, and to write a book about it. And uh, I got really into that whole world of desktop publishing and translating between Macintosh and between Windows and between Linux because we had 20 writers on staff, some of who wrote in Vi, you know, VI, Vi for Linux uh, and Unix, and some of uh, whom wrote in Microsoft Office and so forth. So I got all into that world of connecting those two worlds, writing macros at first and then uh, visual basic programs and uh, then got a job as uh, doing training modules and writing uh, what we called it back then cbt computer-based training modules that were simulating uh, mainframe green screen systems and that led me into the building of websites and converting text manuals three hole punch ring binders full of information, but be able to publish those first on diskettes and then on the intranets and uh, really led me to how is this all constructed? Uh, in fact, for years, I had my own business and I, on my business card, I was an information architect uh, trying to allow people to understand how are you going to present information and how is that all going to get to your end users and how is it all going to fit together, which then led me to my current position of looking at all the pieces, security, you know, text, uh, memory, cloud computing, and whatever you have, whatever you need. So it sounds like you've done pretty much every area of IT over the years. I pretty much have. And, you know, some of the areas of IT that people don't think about that I think we need to do are the business parts about process and about, um, uh, standards and kind of elements like that that are not so much fixing computers or uh, building computers or programming, but things that govern IT. And so that's what I got interested in, uh, enterprise architecture, which uh, looks at how to put all those pieces together, how to answer the six fundamental questions in IT and for entire for your entire enterprise so that you can understand how a complex enterprise works and be able to uh, upgrade it and move along when somebody wants a new piece of software or functionality or you acquire a company or whatever. That's actually something that I'm personally uh, working on at the moment is trying to figure out how to standardize and build processes for all of these things. Why don't you give us kind of the mile high view of what IT architecture really does for the business and what you as a director of IT architecture do? IT architecture is really just making your enterprise, however big or small it is, making your IT visible and usable, um, just like any architecture does. So you can, it has a direct analogy, of course, with building architecture. And if you've owned a house or anything like that, you know that if you have the blueprints of your home, if you understand what your home is built out of and what is behind the wall that you can't see, how those pieces interact, when you want to put an add-on or you want to um, improve your home, you can look at those blueprints and you can not make mistakes. You can do it efficiently. You won't saw through uh, a, a water pipe or worse, an electrical wire and kill yourself. So 
um, enterprise architecture and IT architecture does a similar kind of thing for an enterprise where everything is is unseen. Software is hard to see. Servers now, you most most companies don't even have the server old server room. They use the cloud servers. All of these uh, pieces, the the data you can't see it. The processes and procedures, you know, people do them, but um, how uh, do they get done? And who does them? And what? Uh, applications are are involved in those. So basically, that's the reason for IT or enterprise architecture is to be able to see your enterprise in all of its complexity and be able to change it efficiently. Now, what I do is I have a team of folks who all have specialty areas and we have telecommunication architects and security architects and network architects and so forth and so on. But I also have business architects and process architects and we get together and we basically make a blueprint. The first thing is to know what you have. So make an as is blueprint of the enterprise of your IT. And that's a big chore. So you have to break it down and pick an area that you're going to start to document and be able to keep documented. And by document, I don't mean write a big, long document. I mean, have lists of things that you know, these servers run these applications for this purpose. And that could just be a spreadsheet. These processes are done by these people and they need these applications to complete those processes. And those processes produce this kind of data. And the data, some of that data is private or some of that data is public or some of that data makes our company money or whatever the aspects are. So knowing all those pieces and that's what our, our group does and sort of a part-time thing uh, because we're also all uh, died in the wall IT folks. So we do systems administration and uh, actual hard architecture and networking and, you know, make things run and, spend the weekend doing a, uh, you know, a maintenance weekend or whatever. But as we do that, we essentially document all these things that we're doing, the changes that happen and be able to have that in a database repository that anybody in the company can access when needed. And I think that today, both with the coming privacy laws, CCPA and and some of the other ones, on top of what we're seeing right now with the coronavirus, uh, I believe they're now calling it a pandemic, is a lot more people are working from home and a lot of systems and regular day to day operations are getting disrupted. So I feel like this is something that would, you know, having this and having done this or even doing it now would be something that is valuable on multiple fronts be it security or operations or or the business side, can you go into kind of how you would write all this out and sort of, you know, how it would be structured other than this is a server, here's five things that are running on this server, but would you go all the way down to, you know, including network maps, where it all goes, when it goes, et cetera, or is this more of like a high level thing? Well, it can be uh, whatever level thing that you can actually produce. So what I do like to say is that, Start somewhere and uh, keep at it. And it's not a one-time thing. You're not making... It's unlike building architecture where a building doesn't change, right? The architect designs the building. He has a bunch of layovers for the various plumbing and electrical and the landscaping and so forth. And then that architect builds the building or the builders build the building with the plans and the building stays there, right? It doesn't change all that much. But as you know, and I'm sure most of our listeners know, 
IT changes every single day. Mm-hmm. Things change rapidly by the hour, especially with this pandemic uh, just being declared here. What happens when your company tomorrow says everyone must work from home? And the question of that that is, well, who has a laptop? So if you have a big company, even 100 people in your company, how can that person work from home if they don't have a portable computer? So what do you have to do to provide for them? So if you have even that, just a manifest of the equipment and who's it's assigned to and what what jobs those people do generally, what processes those people uh, do and what applications they use, then you can determine if that person can actually work from home or if you need to provide extra things for that person. So one of the questions we ask is, is where are things? So this is very clear is do your employees, if they have to work from home, do they have good internet? Do they have satellite internet? So maybe that's not so good for video conferencing uh, and so forth and so on. So if, if you can keep track of it, it sounds daunting, but really if you start somewhere, start anywhere, um, catalog things, I would say that the four things you want to pay attention to are applications. What applications do you have? How critical they are? Who uses them? Who owns them? You know, and all that kind of stuff. The equipment, which is servers, but also, uh, you know, mobile devices or your laptops or whatever. Um, the technology you use, and by that I mean things that are grand things like we we always transfer our files with um with https okay so everything's secured so it's good i can send that legal file to jesse over there who's working from home and i don't i'm not worried about it but if there's no way to send it if you think you have to just attach it to an email and email it to jesse that's probably not going to pass muster with the security authorities um and the privacy authorities so you want to document what kind of technology you have available to you. Um, And then the last four, one of the four is data. Where is the data? Where is it stored? Um, One of the interesting things is that QAD three years ago, there were fires and floods and mudslides in California, and we were affected by that. And the building was not harmed because the building was on high ground, but overnight, nobody could get into the office. And for two weeks, the authorities prevented us from getting into our office. And we almost could not make payroll. Why? Because not because we ran out of money, but because the person who was doing the process of payroll, one of the pieces of the payroll process was done on that person's laptop. And that person left their laptop on their desk. And the software was on the laptop and only on the laptop. So there was no opportunity there for doing remote access or even to get to the laptop just to grab it and get back out. Um, you know, how did you solve that? And how did that change the what you were the way you were thinking about your your, I guess, asset management? Yeah, certainly we how we solved it were when it was OK and safe the next and probably two or three days after this mudslide, we sent uh, a team of IT folks in, no kidding, in a Jeep, <laughs> driving down the only access road, which was the railroad tracks, along with the sheriff's department who approved this to go into our building and secure the equipment we needed to go get those pieces 
Uh, we had to do things like, uh, you know, put up a, a microwave antenna to get uh, to get network access because the network access was was also cut off by the mudslide. But what that changed and we solved it and it was, you know, OK and people got paid and that was all fine. But um, what that changed was our attitude about, oh, gee, we need to know what the processes are. We need to know where the data resides. And, you know, since that event, we've spent a lot of time and resource uh, really building out our disaster recovery plans and our business continuity plans. You know, people think, oh, disaster recovery, we're just going to back up the server and we're fine. Or we'll, you know, replicate the server over here and we'll have some process to spin it up. But you don't know about all the little pieces you don't know about. And that's really what IT architecture enterprise architecture does. It reveals all of the secrets of your enterprise, lays them out so that you can understand how to deal with them. So take us further through the process. You started by saying that asset management is your first step, figure out where everything is, where it needs to be accessed from, and all the parameters surrounding that. But from there forward, do you lock somebody out and say, okay, let's figure out how they need to get into the system? Or what do you do to sort of discover what is going to be required in case of an emergency or just for uh, building out this document? Yeah, this is where your business IT skills come in in play. We've heard for years that IT people, to be excellent IT people and to um, really shine, you need business skills. And so what does that mean? That doesn't mean just, hey, I can talk on a podcast or <laughs> I can do a presentation. It means that you can interface and interact with your colleagues in other departments and you can ask them, what what is it you do and you can build a process map for what it is they do or just ask them, I need a process map of what you do. Give me that. And they might may or may not be able to do that depending on their uh, you know level of skill or whatever. But you basically need to not just do the asset inventory, but but ask about what it is your business values, what what things does the business do and how do they relate to those assets? You know, we all think like, well, an important part of our business is to have this, let's say, this weekly all hands meeting. Okay, well, how does that happen? Even if you're a business of 25 people, maybe you all go into the office and you have a kind of an auditorium and you have this all hands meeting and this is where ideas are exchanged. Well, business continuity would say, okay, we're doing that and we do that without very many tools. The main tool is our office. What if we are not in the office? What would happen in that case? So you have to think, well, what kind of tools do I have that could be applied to that process? And um, really, you don't document it in a writing it down in a document necessarily as a narrative. You really just catalog the things of your business. We follow and I'm a big advocate of what's called the Zachman framework, which is basically an enterprise architecture framework of way of looking at uh, the world. But it's very simple, looks complicated, but it's very simple in that the first step is to catalog or list out all the things of your business. So think up those things, those things I've mentioned before, processes, data, applications, people, locations, and so forth and so on. Things that your business needs to run, you just list them out. 
and you list them in whatever kind of detail you know. So for example, an application, you might want to know the name. You might want to know the URL or the, the place where you get the application. You might want to know what kind of application it is. It's a cloud application or it's a client application or it's a mobile application. And you might want to know uh, possibly somebody might not know how much it costs or who, who has a license to that and things like that. And then you can relate those lists of applications to the other things in your business, such as equipment. And you can say, well, we run an exchange server and it is on server one, two, three. And you basically make a list of the servers, make a list of the applications, and you you connect those together. You relate those together. And this is can be done in a spreadsheet, series of spreadsheets. And it also can be done in a uh, database of some kind. And of course, there are tools to do this for you. Um, and, and as you build that up, then you can see the relations between things. Um, so really, it's it's those four things that I mentioned, which I call the pillars of IT, applications, equipment, technology, and data, but also then the keys of business. I call them the three keys of business, which are strategies. What, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if we can't go to the office? Goals. What's the goal of our business? Why are we doing this? Um, and we all need to consider that for like, why do we have this application? What goal does it fulfill? And then policies or controls, um, you know, so, um, so in those things, you can find out, you know, what are the, the policies, goals, and strategies, which kind of equal what the processes are that you follow as a business. You know, what do you do every day? What does the CFO do or what does, uh, you know, the, the salesperson do? How do they do their job? So it actually sounds like a, a, a fun thought experiment, right? You get the team in a war room, you get some pizza and you start thinking about, you know, <laughs> all right, we've got this coronavirus coming and, uh, you know, who knows how bad it could be. Maybe we're all going to have to work from home. What do we do from there? Right. And then you just kind of walk it forward and, and see what you come up with. Correct. Exactly. And, you know, it's, of course, a lot more fun to do it when there's not pressure <laughs> on you to do other things like, hey, there's a disaster coming. And so I always encourage IT departments to start cataloging things now and, you know, just start writing stuff down. Um, you know, what, what do you do? So one example is um let's say that you found your you, you know maybe you're a, a company that writes computer code or that you know that's one of the outputs of your company and um one day you're browsing around and you find that your code is posted on a public repository and you don't want that maybe maybe you want your code to be private so now what do you do that's an emergency so if you had a list of the repository, the authorized repositories where code should be posted. And you had a list of what that code was. Okay, here's the code for application A and application B. You can then use those lists of the, that are normal, what's normal, what's normally happening to compare it to this bad thing and this thing that you didn't want to happen and, and work back from there and have a better picture of how to mitigate that situation um, so that you can, you know, 
go and and uh, contact the person who posted that, uh, you know, force them to delete it or whatever. But you can understand, oh, this code was affected. What code? What what code was affected or posted, and how that will affect our product? And you know, um, you can start the whole company thinking about uh, the effects of that problem. But you have a better picture of what what happens. Exactly like if you had a flood in your house. And if you don't have blueprints for your house, you have no idea where the electrical wires are and if everybody's going to get electrocuted when there's a flood. So, you know, how high is that water? What, you know, what's happening? You know, is there, is there drainage? You know, all those kind of things. If you know that, then you can better mitigate any problem that comes along. We're working on a project right now where we're trying to uh, figure out the electrical wiring for one of our locations we're a real estate company and uh the people who we bought it from when they put it in they didn't document anything so i totally get that example and uh mm-hmm. you know what could be happening and it's it's costing a ton of money to now go out and map all of this because we don't have a clue and some of the things that were put in were were put in backwards and it's just like you know well <laughs> this would be a lot easier if they actually had a map exactly and you know it's not just in disasters it's it's exactly your ton of money example if you do something once it's cheaper than doing it three times and so if you know exactly where you want to drill um or whatever uh, you drill the hole once and you don't have to patch and you don't have to do these other things and you know interestingly uh, because of the global situation now where there's a lot of focus on cruise ships um <laughs> but cruise ships are a very complicated thing and when companies build one of those massive floating cities of the sea, they know where every inch of wire is. They know where every bolt is. They've numbered every steel plate, every weld. They know absolutely everything about that ship and can look it up. So, of course, you know, it's a floating city. So if it springs a leak, they can go and fix that quickly. Um, you know, and and that's an example of very complex architecture and I think that enterprises, companies are almost as complex. And the worst part is they change all the time. Once you build a cruise ship, it doesn't change very much. But once you build a company, it changes a bunch. Your real estate company, you know, might go off in another direction. Like, okay, now we want to invest in, I don't know, high rises. And, you know, um, maybe maybe you don't know about those. And so you don't, you might, might not have a catalog of the skills of your company, or you might not know who to put on that project or whatever. So IT architecture is really just about um, making your enterprise, making your IT as visible as possible. And I encourage people to start anywhere they can, you know, do that a little bit at a time and keep doing it and keeping it updated will serve you benefits down the road when your company wants to change. They say, hey, I think we should uh, have a new um, sales system. Uh, let's buy this sales system. Well, where's all the data going to go into there and you know, so forth and so on. And once you develop that, it seems like that would be kind of a framework for reviewing things in the future as you are trying to figure out, okay, will this work with our systems or what will it affect? You can just pull this out and refer back to, you know, page X, document Y, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things that companies like to do now are move applications to cloud providers. And it's kind of hard to do sometimes if the application is connected to a lot of other things. 
And, you know, if you have to, if you have to go through the process of discovery for every single application you want to move, that increases your cost every single time you do it. And maybe you'll never do it because it's too much trouble. But if you know application ABC is connected to these two other applications and data goes back and forth through these types of connections, um, you can easily plan for that move and do it in a weekend. That's great advice just to just to get started, really. You know, it, it seems like it's something, especially for our small to mid-sized listeners, which is most of them, is that, you know, it's it's this hugely daunting task. And it's something that it's like, well, you know, Absolutely. I don't know where any of this stuff is. Right. And if you just start with not even one system, but one part of one system and you make a goal of uh, going through uh, a piece of it per week, that's, you know, that's doable. You can spend an hour a week on something. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, what I say is just, just do one object at a time. And by object, I mean, a conceptual object. So what's very easy to do for small and medium sized businesses, but they often don't have is make a list of the applications that people use to get their job done. And what often finds people find out or companies find out is, they make this list of applications. And how do you do that? You can just go ask Susie and Bill and Bob and Jan what they have on their PC, or maybe you have a little more sophisticated tools to collect that information. Um, you could go to your to your accounting system and say, well, what did we buy? <laughs> and you can make the list of applications. And you will find there were applications that you bought that nobody is using. And maybe last year, you just renewed the maintenance on those applications because you thought people were using them. So right there, if you just spend, um, you know, some time just listing your applications, kind of who uses them, very informal, could be in a Google sheet or whatever, and then uh, look at, you know, when, when they come up for renewal, you think, well, who uses this and why do they use it? You might find overlaps. You might find that, gee, we bought two licenses of um, Trello for project management and we bought uh, a 10-pack of Jira for project management and we bought a 20-pack of uh, Microsoft Project and uh, we also have a couple of Smartsheet licenses. Well, all of those tools, they're slightly different, but they do kind of the same thing. They help you track tasks. So you might have a little conversation in your company. Hmm. Do we need all these different things? I know, you know, you guys all like this different things, but say, what if we standardized on one and then we could collaborate better? So you get these benefits out of it. So it's cheaper. You get a, a, you know, a cut rate on licenses because you're buying more and you get a group discount and then everybody is talking the same language and then you're more efficient just by doing that one thing of cataloging some applications. And you could just stop there. That would be a good little project for somebody to do. These are all excellent arguments to uh, to take to your boss when you're you're trying to figure out how to do this and and try to get the time to work on it, or explain why you're spending so much time working on a project like this. Uh, what are some of the uh, tools or tips that you would have for putting this together, or I guess I should say tools and tips for putting this together for uh, especially for a, a smaller company that doesn't necessarily have the resources of a a whole team working on this on a regular basis. Yeah, very low cost. I would say you know get get uh, Google Sheets or Microsoft Office uh, Excel 365 or whatever you have and make a uh, make a file 
for your um, objects and just make one tab for each object type that you've decided to catalog. And it could be very low key. So you were talking about locations, Jesse. Mm -hmm. So one sheet, list all your locations, list their their addresses and some properties about them and maybe the number of people who work there, if their offices or, you know, what the purpose is or whatever. Take another tab, list your applications. Take a third tab, list out all the equipment you have and um, keep that up to date. And you might already have a system that does that. So you could, you know, export that into a sheet so that you have all of the pieces of your business or at least the main pieces of your business in one spot. So to me, if you, that's one very low cost way to do it. And you can do that every day. I encourage my team, don't put aside time to do architecture. Do architecture while you're working. So you're in a meeting and somebody says, oh, hey, um, you know, can we use, uh, can we use uh, Jira for this project? Because we want to do, uh, um, we want to do Agile and we want to do cards. Great. Okay, well, let's let's uh, buy some licenses for Jira. So write it down in your spreadsheet of applications. Okay, we're using Jira now for this project. So just list that out. And you can build it up as you go along in the regular course of day. Now, once you have some base objects and you understand uh, what you have there, you might want to choose to do simple diagrams. So one thing you might want to do that a lot of companies do is do a process diagram. And that sounds boring and complicated, but really you just get something like um, draw.io or, you know, Visio or some kind of free diagramming tool. And you can uh, list out some processes, make some process boxes, figure out what comes after one another. And then what you can do is type in that box. This process is done by the system administrator. This process is done by the CFO. This process is done by the um, IT help desk person or whatever. And you can even layer onto that, then those applicate. Well, what does the help desk guy use to close a ticket? Oh, he uses this. We were talking about how it helps to save the company money and doing this. And uh, even though it takes a really long time to do, it's it's something that is definitely worthwhile and will actual will end up repaying the time that you spent going into it multiple, multiple times over, as exhibited by right now. A lot of companies you mentioned before doing uh, doing an all hands meeting. And trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, what do we do if nobody's coming into the office? Well, Twitter just did this. They just had an all hands meeting Mm -hmm. for the first time ever in uh, Google Hangouts Meet. And they said that there were there were things that they learned there that they hadn't done uh, previously where they had actually people. They had people that wouldn't have necessarily spoken up at a regular all hands or at their traditional all hands meetings that spoke up on this one because they were raising their hands or they were putting their their uh, their questions in chat and their answer. Their questions were being answered. This isn't something that normally would have happened. So maybe even in this process, if you do have to take advantage of these things, first of all, you can react quickly, but you may also discover something new that could be beneficial down the road or even right away. Exactly. I mean, and that's really, you said it very well. It's all about discovery. That's all IT architecture is, is discovering what you have, which is all that, uh, you know, traditional building architecture is, is looking at the things and finding out what you have and how you can be a better, 
how you can make better use of those things that you have. It's the things of the business and how they're employed. And, you know, one of the things that I, it's kind of a high level concept, but I try to encourage people is to, is to about those things, ask the six questions, ask about why do we have this thing? Ask what the thing is, that is, what is its properties? Ask how the thing is used or how you do things of the business. Ask where you do the things. Ask who does those things. And the way I see who's are people, roles, but also applications. Because nowadays in today's uh, automation environment, oftentimes things are, or tasks are done by applications entirely. And then lastly, when do those things happen? So for example, Twitter is doing this process because of an event, because of a time event. So do they need to buy licenses for Google Meet uh, for three years or maybe just three months? Because they're going to go back to do whatever they're going to do, whatever they did beforehand. So if you ask those six questions uh, and just keep asking them, especially the why question, that really yields a lot. So you don't even have to do a lot of formal architecture. If you just think about the principles of architecture and, and slow down a little bit and say, well, I'm asking this question and I'm going to write down the answer. And I imagine that even just asking that question, especially if you bring in some of your uh, department leads or executives and you start asking them, okay, well, you know, what is most important to you? That can also open up some other areas of discussion of where it's like, where, where you could be realizing, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that was something that was so critical to them. We need to make sure that that is, you know, backed up and, and readily available in case of an emergency or in case of business continuity, as opposed to just, yeah, you can access your files kind of a thing. Exactly. Like asking the question of how important is this data that you have? Um, can often reduce the amount of spend you will spend on storage or um, help you retain that data in case of legal reasons or protect the data also in case of legal reasons or regulations. So you don't know what you don't know, right? I mean, it's a trite <laughs> saying, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's all this is about is, is knowing, is making the invisible visible because unlike a building or a ship or an airplane, you can't see all the parts of your enterprise. You can't see all the parts of your business. You know, I mean, it's the old joke, like the boss comes into an office. He doesn't go into, he's like, what does that guy do over there? Nobody really knows, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the office space joke. Right. Um, so, uh, I love that so movie. It's, it's really important. <laughs> it's a great movie, but it's really important to do that. And, you know, I've found it can build relationships and build teams. I know a few of your podcasts have talked about um, teaming and, uh, you know, business relationships uh, throughout IT. And I think um, they were great messages. And I think this is one way that you can do that. If you just go talk to the finance department, or, and maybe you're only a company of 12 people and you have two people in finance and two people in IT, if you talk about your commonalities and you understand what they do and they understand what you do, then you build a stronger bond. And meanwhile, you're, you're building your team, but you're also writing down like, you know what? Joe said that he often goes into the I don't know, the ADP payroll system. And he does this, that, and the other thing. And I was wondering why, you know, how he does that. And maybe you discover this piece of software that he's using. Who, who knows? It's not secure or it's um, at risk of, um, 
of expiring because it's too old or it's going to clash with your Java version or whatever, you know, um, and then at a critical moment, he'll have a problem. And you can, with these information, you can avoid um, um, surprise help desk tickets and surprise emergencies and all that kind of stuff. Like, for example, we have a whole list of our employees, our support employees and help desk employees. We know who is the, um, the, the, what we call R1 and R2. So the, the response people for each application and each server. So if a server's down in the middle of the weekend and we know the name of it, you can quickly go into the database, look it up, find out who's responsible for that server, call that person, and they can fix it. Um, you can understand that about applications as well. So if you just do that, like that helps your help desk not run around and go, I don't know, let's send it to Bob. Bob reroutes it. Oh, Bob routes it to Susie. Susie's on vacation. Things don't get happened. And then the big sales meeting uh, goes bad because the person didn't have the software installed correctly. And that brings us to another area of IT that we actually haven't addressed really much on this podcast yet is shadow IT. And it sounds like, again, through this discovery, I feel like you need to have an Indiana Jones hat already. We're talking about discovering so much. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I tell my team members that we're like archaeologists. We're discovering what was underneath the jungles in, in South America. Oh, totally. And, uh, you know, it's just funny to say Indiana Jones is a perfect metaphor for partially what we do. You ask us what we do. We, uh, we're not, not as exciting as Indiana Jones, but more like those people out in the desert sweeping dust off of a, of an old mummy. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Reminds me of the Spaceballs reference, comb the desert. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, shadow IT is, is another area where uh, this ends up spending or costing the company a ton of money potentially because you just don't necessarily know what's there. And it seems like it's something that most people, especially on smaller teams, are not going to have time to do. But at the end of the day, doing this uh, for an hour a week or even once a month over a year, you'll end up having a lot more at the end of the year than you did when you started. You know, the definition, I totally agree with you. And the definition of shadow IT is what? So if you're saying the term shadow IT, that means there is something that is not in the shadow, right? Something that's approved. Well, how many of our listeners here could produce a list quickly of all of the software that is approved. I could That is okay. That is not shadow IT. So could that just one thing, could you do that one thing? Could you say, you know, this is all the software that we've purchased and we approve of, and we agree that we're going to use. And then if it's not on this list, you could easily publish that to people and say, if you're using a piece of software that's not on this list, please tell us about it. And depending on your company, um, that might go over well. And you could say, oh, great, we're going to bring your IT out of the shadow because people use shadow IT for what reason? Because they need to get their job done. It's not because they're trying to cheat somebody or, you know, pull some wool over the, your IT eyes, right? They're just trying to get their job done. And you know what? What we've found is when we find those people, oh, you're using that? You're using Trello, for example. I don't know if you know Trello. It's an online uh, a task manager with cards and you can drag them around. It's great, but we don't own any licenses to that. And when people get into that, they might buy extra licenses or who knows what they're doing. But we have other tools, Jira and Smartsheet, that do the exact same thing that we already paid for that are actually more powerful. So when we find people 
in this minor example, we can say, hey, we know what you're trying to do. Why don't you do it over here? We'll show you what to do. Here's some videos. Here's some, we'll give you a license. It's great. We already paid for it. And they find that that's a better solution. So now IT is their advocate. IT is f- forward thinking. IT is, is being proactive, looking at ways that they can help the business. And that's really uh, increases IT's value. And that's all because IT knows what's, what you're supposed to use and what you're not supposed to use. That is, what is shadow IT? Not just some knee-jerk reaction, because that could get into an argument, right? <laughs> like, what <laughs> you're using shadow IT. What does that mean? Like, where's the list? Right. And, and going back to our earlier discussion, I think you really just nailed there the essence of modern day IT, right? Is it's not that it's not like the old days where you had this one application that they were using. And, and I, I harp on this often, you know, the IT guys in the basement that nobody wants to work with. That's that's not a thing anymore. Right. <laughs> Business. Exactly requires IT, IT requires business. That is what Tabby stands for. We live and breathe at the intersection of technology and business so that people can do their jobs. And so you're lying about mm-hmm. knowing what they uh, can use and what they shouldn't be using. There are often reasons for these things and being able to produce that list, uh, I think really is is not just important once you can finally get there, but it is a, a huge stepping stone onto much greater things in IT because then you have that uh, visibility and that control into your organization, even if it's whether it's a small organization or a large organization or a small team or a smaller team within a large group, you still will be able to take that to your bosses and say, hey, this is what we have. This is what we're responsible for. And this is how we're going to protect it. And that'll give you that kind of overhead to, to really impress your, your bosses and, uh, and I guess take it to the next level. And I think that's potentially really powerful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my boss a long time ago, looked, seemed to have the idea that there were too many applications, kind of like another movie I like, which is uh, Amadeus about uh, Mozart. And the king says that that symphony or whatever has too many notes. (laughs) Mozart says, well, which notes would you like me to remove? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, bosses do that. There's too much complexity. And it's like, well, if you can explain to your boss why the complexity exists, um, what it does and w- how it drives the business, then that um, argument goes away. Um, and it also m- might expose too much complexity. And then you can be the IT hero, right? You can go, hey, I eliminated $30,000 out of our budget because I found overlapping applications. And actually, when I connected the two different groups that were using these overlapping applications, they now can communicate together on the same scale and they're happier. Now, does that, is that instant? Is that, you know, take a pill and it all works? No, that, that does, you know, needs communication and needs work, but it all starts with knowing what the things of the business is. Yeah, for sure. And and I often say to my team, and the reason behind this is that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, users, they usually don't want to know what technology takes to run something as you were saying before they just wanted to run that's why max became so popular for people that are not so familiar with the technology side of things they just wanted to do their publishing or whatever it was i will often say to my team and i've been quoted on this before is extreme simplicity requires extreme complexity complexity 
that if you want to be able to present something to your users that is super duper simple, there is always going to be something on the back end or 98% of the time going to be something on the back end that is very, very complex. And and this just goes to, to further that and to show that, I think. I 100% agree. That's well, well said. Thank you. And it, it doesn't need to be daunting or scary. You know, this process can be as big or as small or as engaging uh, or as continuous as needed for your business. And, you know, I think the mistake people hear about IT architecture or enterprise architecture, they think it's a bunch of people up in an ivory tower, pro, you know, making pronouncements and decisions <laughs> that they don't understand. It's really better to do from the bottom up is to just talk to the people who are using the technology and ask them, what are you using? What are you doing? Where is your data? What kind of technology do you need? And you can just write that stuff down and you begin to see the connections between those things. And that in that information, you can then make much better decisions for future technology or retirement of technology or change of process. Yeah, definitely. That sounds that definitely sounds great. Um, are there any last tips that you would give to people that are either starting out on this process or maybe they've given it a shot? They've got some kind of asset management in place, but they want to take it to the next level. Uh, what should they do? Well, I think you should, um, you know, it depends on the business, of course, and, and what the needs are. But if you've you've listed some things um, and you, you kind of have a handle on your assets and maybe some, some processes and you've maybe even done a few diagrams to, to run a project like, Hey, here's our network diagram. We're going to, you know, add a new office or something. What, what you want to do then is to, to begin to, um, connect the dots together. So, um, you want to use your architecture. So the tip would be use your, what you have on projects, on things that you're going to do, on improvement things. So um, on disasters that happen, you know, wow, okay, um, here's a pandemic. We have to do something. Um, let's go to our repository and, um, you know, really look at it. So the, the thing you don't want to do is just document all the stuff, stick it in a folder and forget about it. Because if you're going to do that, you might as well not start. The whole point of this is for it to be a living architecture, to be something that it's not documenting just so that you have it in case. It's documenting it so that you can use it every day, keep it up, keep it um, uh, available. So, you know, my tips are, hey, whatever you have, share with everyone. Um, work the process into everyday work. Um, connect um, all the business questions to those those objects or those artifacts that you have, going back to Indiana Jones. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, use that architecture and build on that architecture. So your next project, you don't even have to start with your old stuff. You can say, you know, on this next project, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to... Uh, we're going to put in a, um, a call system for our support department. Okay, cool. What are we going to do? Well, we need two servers. Okay, let's write them down. Uh, and we need this software and so forth. And you go through that whole manifest and you, you know, that can be the start of your list of things and, um, you know, expand from there. And, you know, I would, I would just make it a living, breathing practice every day. Don't do it. Just go to the boss and say, I want to do architecture and I'm going to, you need to, I need 20 hours extra work and I need to hire a guy and we're going to go off and do this. 
because that's stale. That's not organic. So do it organically. Excellent advice. Thank you very much, folks. Continue the conversation. You can join our Slack channel or hit me up on Twitter. I'm Mr. J. Nolan. Scott, are you on Twitter? I am. I'm Scott underscore L underscore Lawson. All right. Hit up Scott. Hit me up. Let's continue the conversation. It's been great having you, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Jesse. And we'll see you next week, folks.